into the contest. It's Thursday the 8th of July. Welcome to our afternoon sport deep dive. I'm Tim Gilbert. I'm joined by my co-host Shane Lee. Shane, I, I want to ask you first up about a bloke that we both know very, very well. He played cricket for New South Wales. He's one of your great mates, of course. He now produces the cricket at Fox. He worked with us at Channel 9. Brad McNamara, because you've written an article about him <laughs> just recently. He's a character. He's a character, mate. Bradley Edward McNamara, a funny little guy. He was the lead guitarist in our band Six and Out, but uh, <laughs> he wasn't that good. We used to put him behind a pole so no one could see him and uh, off to get another, get another guitarist to play. But um, a funny guy, a really good all-rounder. He actually taught me how to bowl at the death um, in one-day matches and, yeah, just one funny bastard off the pitch, mate. Oh, yeah, and, and a serious tourist, a serious tourist. <laughs> we have lots and lots of Olympic content on the way, so make sure you stay with us on Afternoon Sport for all the latest. We're not far away from Tokyo, but what about our show today? It's huge. We've got motorcycle legend, five-time world championship winner Mick Doohan, and another sporting legend, of course, he captained his country, his state, and his team with pride, Rooster Boyd Cordner. They've been ripping the heads off cans of beer since early morning in Australia, all the English fans. I think we've got about 1.4, 1.5 million expats, and uh, you can imagine what it's like around the world after they beat Denmark in the semi-final of the Euros. Unbelievable win, wasn't it? Particularly after going down, Damsgaard scored um, first for the Danes uh, with a beautiful uh, free kick. Uh, but England winning 2-1, and Harry Kane, the captain, um, scoring the key goal at the end with a penalty. But, uh, yeah, they will be drinking beer all day. And as your brother predicted, mate, England v Italy in the final. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, it's been a long time. It was black and white TV before they've been in one of these big finals. And they have so many tales of woe, as we heard from Rob Tanner the other day as well. Okay, well, England and Italy, we'll talk about that on Monday. And the Wallabies got a good win. Look, I know they were scrappy uh, throughout the game, but they really got it together in that final 20 minutes to beat the French in a nail-biting finish at Suncorp. Yeah, I I love my rugby, but it was bloody hard to watch, mate. It was death by a thousand cuts there, but... uh... You're playing a third-ranked uh, French team on a, uh, a number two free-to-air channel on Gem. Yeah, but we got home 23 or 21. And I think you're right. The last 20 minutes was great from the Wallabies, but before that it was pretty, pretty bad, I thought. Yeah, well, hopefully the winning mentality will, will get across some of the other games that we've got to play. Most importantly, into the Bledisloe Cup. Wouldn't it be great if we could win the Bledisloe Cup against New Zealand? Well, there's a guy that knows all about winning. He's coming up on Afternoon Sport, former Roosters captain, Blues captain. He was Test captain as well, the mighty Boyd Cordner. Rugby League and one of the best players of the modern era, Boyd Cordner, and he joins us on the line. How are you, Boyd? Hey, guys. Good, boys. Good, Boyd. Shane Lee here, mate. My first question, mate, I um, I watched the press conference the other week and it was, oh, I found it, uh, as an ex-sportsman, uh, tough to watch, mate. Uh, clearly, the, how much the game meant to you. It was, it was really nice to watch. And, the, you know, the Roosters, it's a real family club, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, the decision was definitely hard. Um, mm. It was something that I was dreading. And I sort of made my decision about a week beforehand. Um, you know, that was extremely tough for me. I'm a very emotional guy. And like you said, footy is all, is all I've ever known and yeah. as a kid. So, you know, to come to that decision and to, to announce that was um, definitely one of the hardest things I had to do. How do you feel now with a little water under the bridge? 
So I was so relieved, like just straight away, even once that day was done, I was just felt, you know, so much weight just being lifted off my shoulders. I was, you know, carrying it around for a while and yeah, I just feel feel good now, Tim. Um, you know, happy, um, content. And that's how I think I've done I've I've made the right decision. It's because I'm feeling that way. Yeah, well, definitely, mate. Your health is your, your number one um, thing you need to look after, mate. The, the other thing I, I did love too, mate, in that interview is how much passion and respect you had for both Nick Politis and, and Trent Robertson. Um, they obviously meant a lot to you both on and off the field as, as a man and as a player. Yeah, definitely. Um, two guys that I definitely look up to and, you know, especially Trent. I've had a lot to do with him through my footy career. He was at the Roosters with Brian Smith in, 2010. Mm. Um, briefly, he was assistant coach there and took the club to a grand final, took off overseas and then come back in 2013. And we obviously know um, we've been pretty successful since and yeah. um, what he's done for me in my footy career, but not even to do with footy, just away from it and the life lessons and, you know, the man he is and the, uh, the life experience that he's given me and, you know, it's definitely rounded me out as a person and, you know, I've obviously gotten pretty close over that time and and then with Nick too, he's he's obviously been someone that I've looked up to and I think if, if you've met him when he enters a room, he's just got that aura about him yeah, and, sure. you know, he can be pretty daunting and scary at times but um, underneath all that, he's the most caring guy you'll ever meet and he's got the biggest heart and he loves the roosters and, um, yeah, I think it goes unnoticed. Uh, from the outside of of how much he actually cares and and loves the boys, but I'm telling you, when you pull on that jersey and you play for the club, you know how much you know he really does love the club. So uh, for him to obviously stick by me through all my injuries and you know my I suppose low low points of my career for sure. him to just yeah. show faith in me, I just you know I, I really respect him so much. Yeah, he's a classic too, isn't he, Nick? Uncle Nick. He's just so engaging, though. And once you once you know him, you know him. He's just one of those types of guys. Hugely successful too in business. Tell us a little bit about Camp Two for New South Wales, because I know that for those inside, yeah, go the Mighty Blues. For those inside the camp, having you there and the those blues. touching moments uh, just prior to the game when where you spoke to the boys. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, it was um, it was a great experience. You know, apart from playing. Uh, and pulling on that jersey, I'm the biggest New South Wales fan there is. You know, it's um, it's something you know pretty special. And to be able to be invited into the camp by Freddie was it was good. It was quite close to when I retired. I didn't know I didn't know if I felt that comfortable. Once I was in there, it was it was unreal to experience. You know, um, how they trained and how they went about their business. It's such a special team now, and you know, just being in there and seeing how tight they are and you know, how much respect they have for Freddie. And, you know, it was just you could tell that they were just going to go and put in a special performance. But, you know, to be involved and to watch them go about their business at some court, you know, it was unreal. Yeah, smash them. Boy, it's lovely to hear you talk about how passionate you are about, you know, and, and, and the honour it is to, to captain New South Wales. I was lucky enough in cricket to be the 100th captain of New South Wales in cricket, which is a great honour, mate, and, and it's really, really important. The thing I want to ask you, mate, is that in business – Dual CEOs never work. How did you and Jake Friend make the co-captaincy work so well? Yeah, I think first of all we've we've known each other for a while, and you know he's a he's a very I think like-minded person in the way that mm-hmm. we we go about our business. So we never really we didn't really clash at all. You know, like 
you know, we had that respect for each other, whether, you know, he wanted to sort of take control whenever he wanted to, mm -hmm. you know, he was, and if I wanted to do the same, there was no dramas there. And I think we sorted that out pretty early on. And um, ever since then it was, yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, we're lucky that we had a, a great leadership group there throughout all them years. So we definitely got a lot of help off the other boys, um, especially Cooper coming in. Yes. Um, you know, we had Jared there. He's still playing there, Albo. So, you know, all these experienced guys that, um, you know, really helped us out a lot too. Yeah. And finally, and most importantly, behind every uh, good man is a good woman. And, and look, I, I worked with your partner for a long, long time. She came in and did work experience and went on to work with us on the Today Show. She's one of the most genuinely delightful human beings I've ever met. So having her there in your life must have been uh, an extraordinary help through this process, Boyd. Yeah, it definitely was. And, you know, she, she talks about you a lot, Timmy, and uh, she loved her time there at nine. And, you know, for, for us as footy players, we, we go through our career and we meet a lot of people and um, not a lot of them are genuine and don't have the right intentions. And she's been there through me through thick and thin. Um, when she did the van, she's still here with me now. So, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. When the little boy and Gemma start running around, the shit will hit the fan again. Quite literally. <laughs> but it's all very exciting. Look, mate, so congratulations on what has been an amazing career, and we wish you and, and Gemma and everyone all the very best going forward. Thanks for coming on Afternoon Sport. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Coming up on Afternoon Sport, an absolute legend of Australian motorsport, five-time world champion, Mick Doohan. Well, all through uh, my sports reporting through the early 90s, from 94, at least for the next five years, every time we spoke about 500cc motorcycles, there was one man winning the races and winning the championship. He did it five times in a row. Mick Doohan, how are you? Hey, I'm well, Tim. Thanks, mate. Mick, thanks for coming on the show, mate. Um, Shane Lee here, man. I'm a guy from Wollongong, and a very famous competitor of yours was the, the Wollongong whiz kid, Wayne Gardner, mate. You had some... some Huge battles with him over the years. How, how do you reflect on those battles? When I when I joined the team um, in 89, Wayne was well established. He was 87 world champion. So mm. it was a good good experience to be joining a team um, with Wayne. And then also uh, had another world champion, a three-time world champion uh, teammate as well in the form of Eddie Lawson. So, but, but Wayne and I remained teammates until he retired in 92. So... We had a couple of good races together. One memorable one in, in Phillip Island in 1990. Um, he, he just beat me. But the rest of the time, it was uh, it was just seeing who could beat who. And thankfully, <laughs> I think I beat him in every championship. <laughs> they, they were different days, weren't they, Mick, too? Like, uh, I know that uh, there was – safety's always been a priority. But when you think about what they've got now in 2021 compared to those late 80s, early 90s days. Absolutely. But thank, thankfully, I joined um, – it was already safety was sort of being spoken about um, – and there was a there was certainly a, a safety delegate uh, put together a safety committee put together I'm, 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 I should say to try and um, minimise the fatal accidents anyway. So so it's grown a lot as you say since then. But thankfully, I sort of joined when the majority there was still Spa, which was a road circuit back then. Um, Assen was still a road circuit, which they just closed for the weekends. But uh, they've all been removed now. The runoffs are much better, but 
unfortunately motorcycling is still inherently dangerous and um, and the problem as we've seen in the past in the past fatalities anyway is just when a, a, a rider is hit by another bike generally but yeah. it's the runoff areas and the, and as you say the 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 the, the uh, leather suits and whatnot they've all got airbag systems and they they don't fall apart like they used to and um, and generally the bikes although they're quick a lot of electronic controls now which sort of minimise the amount of high side crashings, which are the ones where you get flipped over and, and you look like Superman flying through the air, but yeah. um, they're all pretty much low-sided ones. And unless there's a, a computer issue, that's the only reason or the only times that those type of accidents happen these days. Mick, you started with dirt bikes, um, five-time world champion. Um, I looked at your stats, 137 starts, I think it was 54 wins and 84 podiums. Unbelievable um, conversion rate there. Do you have any one that really stands out for you, if you could pick one? Oh, geez, no. I got yeah. lucky a bit um, all the way through there. So More than, more than lucky, yeah. I, I think uh, Brazil in 97, I think it was, might have been a – could have been 96. I'm not sure now. It's a long time ago, but that was a good one. Certainly coming back from when I nearly lost my leg in 92 and winning in Mugello, Italy, in 93. There, there's a few, actually. Winning the first ones always get the monkey off your back. Mm. But thankfully, I did win a couple. There wasn't any that I didn't like winning, that's for sure. So I got, I got good, <laughs> yeah, good, point. good memories from them all. Well, you're, you're in Monaco at the moment and uh, you've just been in Austria because uh, uh, Jack is driving in, in the Formula 3 on, on four wheels. It's interesting, isn't it, to see the next generation? And, of course, uh, uh, you know, Wayne Gardner's son is also – Rennie's also doing very well in motorsport. We're, we're seeing the next generation come through. It's – it's great to watch. Yeah, Remy's doing a, a great job. He's been he's been there for a number of years now. He's got plenty of experience. He's still young, and um, and but now he's also on some competitive uh, machinery, and and um, he's dominant at the moment. It's a shame the Australian Grand Prix won't take place. Um, perhaps he could have been sort of securing the championship. Hopefully, anyway, at least this year at Phillip Island. But it's not going. We're not going to see that. But. But look, um, yeah, my son decided to go down the four-wheel path from from racing go-karts and, and other sports when he was younger. And um, as a father, or as parents, it's always it's a little bit easier to watch on the four wheels, but <laughs> yeah. it's still nerve-wracking. Mm. But, um, mm. but yeah, both the boys um, are going quite well. Jack, in his second year in Formula 3, again, he's with a, a better team and he's able to sort of show what he's capable of doing. But it's early in the season at the moment, but... Um, so far, so good. Hey, Mick, you mentioned that the Grand Prix in Australia being cancelled second year in a row. Is motor racing in trouble in Australia after that? Do you think I think Australia's over? in trouble. Yeah, I think I think you're right, mate. I think um, it's ridiculous the way the political play of this COVID, which is yeah. essentially now a flu, and I think a lot of other governments are now recognising that uh, need to get on with it and um, get everyone vaccinated and uh and the, the hospitalisation rates are well down, and that was the whole reason behind locking everyone up. Well, you know, I guess you guys are the press as well, but the press haven't helped the um, the situation in Australia, scaring the hell out of everybody, and, um, and also trying to trying to vaccinate people um, about everything that may happen to you if you take the vaccination. Well, but anyway, we could go on forever with that. It is what it is, but. I don't think it's in a bad position. I, I, I think we've, we've got a, a short window to be able to resurrect international events, not just motorsport in Australia. But I think if we have this mentality that we're bloody um, 
some prison again like we used to be yep. <laughs> centuries yes. ago. Yep. We can't leave, we can't come in. Then I think all international events and and other business conferences and whatnot, yeah. Australia is going to be left behind. Yeah, they'll, they'll put it in jeopardy. There, there, there has been some green shoots recently with the four phases announced by the federal government. So hopefully they'll move quickly in the right direction because, as you say, uh, the rest of the world is opening up. And it must be nice to be, you know, to, to moving around, travelling around. The last year and a half has been a bludger in so many places. No, look, it is. And at the end of the day, the Formula One community and also MotoGP community, a handful of, and I mean handful, of COVID positive tests are so minimal that it puts it all into perspective. Yeah. We're also talking about people coming into Australia. You know, as you know, I'm in the aviation game. This is what they're, they're reducing the numbers again, but it's 6,500 people coming in per week. And of, of that, maybe 1% come in with the COVID. If it was that contagious, everybody on that little tube would have the frigging virus. There'd yeah. be no airline staff left. <laughs> so, look, I think we need to get away from the scaremongering, and it is good to be able to move around here. But well, I think I read somewhere, I don't know how true it is, but what Australia and North Korea are the only ones, and I think North Koreans have trouble <laughs> leaving their country anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the only countries in the world you can't leave, and it's embarrassing, to be honest. And, and I understand we've got to look after the, the, the vulnerable people, but we also need to look after the masses. Now, Mick, I got, I got a question for you, and I read, I might be wrong here, but apparently when you went around the corners, you, you were so low to the ground that some stages you actually grinded your fingers down. Is that true? Now, also, but I also <laughs> read... when I was sliding down the road. Yeah, but I also read that you were engaged. <laughs> we had a courtship for 11 years. Were you trying to wear down your wedding ring finger or I'm trying to work this one out. <laughs> you were delaying it? What was happening? Just seeing if she was committed. <laughs> <Goodness>. <laughs> but no, uh, no, Selena, my wife, she uh, has been with us for a while, but we were travelling a lot, moving around a lot. So really it was we are engaged for a long time. It wasn't really a priority, to be honest, and it was down to then some other friends that, really prompted the, the marriage thing. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, uh, my fingers, yeah, I lost one of the, the my little yeah. finger um, or a part of my little finger on my left hand. And uh, but, but certainly my, uh, my, through the injury on my right leg, my, my, my right ankle doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't function at all. So I've got no mobility in that. And um, in the early days, I didn't have a lot of sensation in it. So <clears throat> I couldn't feel it actually from the knee down. <clears throat> so I couldn't feel the, the boot dragging on the ground. So I did wow. come in after a test and I ground half of my, my toe away, <clears throat> which thankfully I couldn't feel it, but still didn't help on the healing process. And, but, um, but then I had to adjust uh, my wow. riding style a little bit better so to try and retain what foot, <laughs> as much as the foot as I had left. Yeah, well, you've got you've got the war wounds, but but what a career it was! Great to see the next generation. And Mick, thanks so much for coming on. Please pass on my love to Selena and the whole crew, and uh, we'd love to chat with you soon, buddy. Well, thanks, Tim. Thanks, guys. A pleasure to speak with you. And um, and let's hope Australia sort of gets back on their feet. I'm sure we'll be back bigger and better. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Follow us on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you goes out to our guest today, Boyd Cordner and to Mick Doohan. And thank you to Spartan Sports. Yeah, www.spartansportshq.com. And our wonderful producer, Mr. Dan McHugh, will be back tomorrow for your daily dose of sport. We'll see you then, guys. Take care.